Amen, amen. Oh, man, it's so good to be here with y'all. I said y'all, not you guys. How do you like that? My name is Nathan, not to be confused with my twin brother, who I'm sure you have already been confused by, whose name is Nick. And I just wanted to say it's so good to be here. Um, someone told me this morning, they said, hey, the weather is never like this. And I, I thought to myself, you really want me to move here, don't you? <laughs> but no, nah, it's a beautiful day, and I'm so grateful to be here with you guys. Um, there's a message that I've just been praying about. I've been asking the Lord, I'm like, all right, God, what do you have for me, for us, that you would have me share this morning? And I believe that God has placed this message on my heart for a very particular reason, and I believe that it's for me and for you and for all of us, um, and I'm just going to jump straight into it. So, um, yeah, here we go. Um, I grew up from a young age having to process some deep questions, um, trying to make sense of my life. I can remember being seven years old and my mom laying me down for bed and she would pray this prayer over me and I pray that you've never heard this prayer but she would pray, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I remember being seven years old thinking, I don't wanna die and who's gonna take my soul? And I was having an existential crisis at seven years old. I'm thinking to myself, what is death? What does this mean? And now I can't sleep. And I look back and I'm like, okay, my mom was trying to prepare me to be this philosopher or one day theologian or who knows, maybe one day a pastor to process these big questions that we have in life. And I can also remember from a young age processing meaning in life. Uh, my mom, being a single mom and being addicted to drugs and all of my immediate family members being addicted to drugs, I remember growing up thinking, hey, there's something not right with that. And then as I got older, I questioned, I was, I was like, what is it that, that drives people into addiction? What is it? There's gotta be something else that we can be drawn to in this life. And it had me questioning meaning in life. And from a young age, I was processing these deep questions. It was heavy. And as I got older, I got connected to a local church. I started to hear the Bible preached regularly, not just that scary prayer that my mom so unintentionally, innocently would pray over me. And my life started to make more sense the moment that I encountered Jesus. And there was one verse in one gospel that helped me make the most sense in my life. And I wanna share that with you today. And it comes out of John chapter one. And so if you have your Bibles, I would pray that you would turn there. And if this is something that you've heard before, I pray that it is a reminder and a refreshment to you. And I pray that if God gives you new revelation and you've never heard this before, I just thank God for that. And so in John chapter one, I'm gonna read verses one through three and then we're gonna focus on verse one. And we're gonna preach that for the next 45 minutes. One verse, 45 minutes, you guys ready for that? It doesn't matter, right, we're doing it. All right, here we go, John chapter one, verses one through three, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In the beginning was the word. The gospel writer, John, is so intentional in the way that he opens up this gospel. When he says, in the beginning, every Jewish listener would have leaned in. They would have said, oh, we've heard this before, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But he says, in the beginning was the word. 
And now what happens? John has every Gentile listener leaning in. John is so intentionally crafting his message to reach his audience. And what is a Gentile? A Gentile is anyone that's not Jew, that is not Jewish. So John is trying to reach everyone with one goal in mind, lifting up the name and the person of Jesus Christ. That's his only goal. And so now you have everyone leaning in. He says, in the beginning was the word. But the word, and I wanna talk about that word, word, logos or logos, depending on your accent, I guess. I'm not really familiar with the Greek accent, but I just say logos. That word logos means something different to the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles were heavily influenced by the Greeks. The Greeks heavily influenced the Romans. And the Romans, the Greco-Roman people were occupying Israel at this time. So you had a mix and a blend of Jewish people and Roman people and Gentile people and people who had a heavily influenced by the Greek culture and mythology. So that word logos, this is what it means to the Greeks. It means an active, rational, and spiritual principle. It's a principle that they live by that permeated all reality. They called the logos providence, nature. I have some people like that in Arizona that worship nature. We have a place called Sedona and they believe in vortexes and crystals and they worship them. You guys have anybody that worships nature in your life? The Greeks did. And they believed that the logos was the soul of the universe. It was the divine reason that could be seen in the cosmos or the world around them. And so the Greeks believed that if you just looked out into the world, the world naturally had this order and structure and this design behind it. And they called that the logos. They saw the logos as an impersonal force. That's not how John sees the logos. Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, he says, for in him all things were created. That's Jesus. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is not simply a philosophy to understand, but a person to get to know. God is not a list of principles to live by, but a person to get to know. God is not just words on pages that we read to memorize, but a person to get to know. And his name is Jesus. And John is making that clear for all listeners, that Jesus is where we make sense of our life. Jesus is where we find ultimate meaning and purpose. And this is what I learned at a young age. God is not an impersonal force that is far off and out there. God is personal. God is personal. And he's chosen to reveal himself to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, we read, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And just as we human beings express ourselves in words, right? What do you do when you go on a first date? Hopefully you talk. Don't take her to the movies. Not a good idea. 
actually go out and get to know each other and you express yourself in words. Just as we express ourselves in words in order to be known, God has expressed himself in the person of Jesus Christ in order to be known. In the beginning was the word. And now we're moving on to the word was with God. Amen. The word was with God. I have a question for you. When do you feel most alive? Think about that for a second. When do you feel most alive? After that first cup of coffee, Nate, got to be honest. Amen. I can relate. It's like four cups of coffee for me right now with a two-month-old baby boy. It's just precious. Yeah. Oh, thank you, guys. <laughs> I didn't plan that, all right? That's, that just worked naturally. <laughs> the baby works for everything. Oh. When do you feel most alive? Some people feel most alive when they travel, right? When they get to see the world. It, it invigorates their soul. Some people feel alive when they're eating their favorite food, amen? Come on, we're in Mississippi, right? You got good food out here. I feel alive when I'm in Mississippi eating a flamethrower from Blue Rooster. Come on now. When do you feel most alive? I have some friends in my life I was talking to. There's this one guy in particular. He told me that he traveled to Spain to go run with the bulls. And he did this by himself. I thought, you have some serious problems or you are a sociopath. <laughs> Number one, who travels to Spain by themselves? Number two, who travels to Spain by themselves to run with the bulls by themselves? If a bull catches you, nobody's going to be there to try to save you that you know. And nobody's going to know that you died. <laughs> but I was thinking about this. When we travel, when we share our shares, keyword, our favorite meal, when we have a cup of coffee, doesn't it mean so much more when you're doing it with someone? Yeah. All the introverts said, no. <laughs> Don't talk to me until that first cup of coffee is done. Amen. But truly, when do you feel most alive? I would venture to say that it's when you're connected with the people that you love and that love you. When, it's, when you're sharing your heart and your fears and your hopes and your dreams with someone that cares about you. That's when you feel most alive. When you're traveling the world and you're seeing God's beautiful creation, but you're doing it with someone that God has given you. That's when I feel most alive. The word was with God. That word with means something. I forgot what a preposition was because it's been years since I've taken English class. But to us, with is just a preposition, right? We just read over that word with. Yeah, to be with someone, you're, you're right next to me. We're together. We're, I'm with them. The word was with God. That word with in the original Greek, you got to love when pastors do that, right? It sounds so much smarter. I'm not. I've studied Greek for one year and forgot everything that I learned. I'm sorry. So you know what I did? I looked up that word with because I knew it had to mean something special. And I reached out to my brother-in-law who studies classical Greek. And I sent the word to him. It's P-R-O-S in the Greek. It's prose. And he said, ah, to move toward. And he had no idea that I was studying scripture or getting ready for a sermon. And he said, it means to move toward. Think about this for a second. That word with means to move toward. And so I started to study it a little bit more in-depthly. That word with in the Greek, it means face-to-face. -face. It means face-to-face. -face. And then I started to contemplate my own life. 
and I started to think about all the times that I'm face-to-face with someone. When have you been face-to-face with someone? I can think of one event in my life where I was face-to-face with someone. You know what I'm talking about? When you got married. You know, it's so funny. When I first met my wife and I took her out on a date, I can remember we were at Panera Bread of all places. Shame on me. And I kept trying to talk to her and she wouldn't look me in my eyes. And months later, I was like, how come you would never look me in my eyes? And she was like, I don't know. I just felt uncomfortable. I was hoping she was like, yo, it was the baby blues, you know? She didn't say that. (laughs) And I was like, okay, it must be the fact that I'm a pastor, right? Pastors make everybody feel uncomfortable. Great. You know, you got to love that. But she felt uncomfortable at first. And the more that we got to know each other, the more eye contact we started to make. And then eventually, and I've officiated a a good handful of weddings, my favorite moment is when the groom is standing up here and that bride starts walking down, and what do they do? They make eye contact, and the the groom just melts. And then she comes closer, and I'm standing here, and then they turn face to face. That Greek word with, pros, face to face, you're moving toward. You know, another time I've been face to face with someone more so than anyone in my entire life, it's my son, right? It's so weird. He's sleeping at night, and I'm looking over his bassinet, just staring at his face. I'll put my nose against his. I'll kiss him. He'll scream at me. I'm just staring at him. I get lost in his eyes. It's almost as if God created us to be with one another, to move toward one another. And the more that we move toward him, the the more that we move toward one another. And for some of us, maybe that was the last time you were face-to-face with your spouse, right? And now you're like, it's different reasons you're face-to-face. You're arguing, right? God is relational. We, We read that the word was with God, that Jesus has existed for eternity, always moving toward God, face to face with God, in perfect communion with God. And doesn't it make sense, I'm trying to make sense of my life, the more that I learn about Jesus and I read the scriptures, the more my life starts to make sense. Doesn't it make sense that if we're created in God's image and God is a relational God, always moving toward one another, that we were created for that same thing. God has always existed in relationship And it makes the most sense that that's exactly what it is that we were created for. Whenever people get to know me and they hear my story, it's funny. I'll tell people, yeah, I grew up in Southern California and I was was raised by my nanny. And they're like, oh, okay, Orange County boy, like your parents paid for a nanny to take care of you. And I'm like, no, that's actually not the case, right? Single mom, she's addicted to drugs, identical twin. Everybody's always surprised by that. There's two of you, yes. And then I tell them, I'm like, yeah, my mom was addicted to drugs. There was a woman who, who raised us who wasn't blood-related. We called her nanny. She was like a grandma. And by the grace of God, she was our guardian angel. She took care of us. We moved around a bunch, probably 10 times before the age of nine, different relatives, different friends. Saw our mom walk the street homeless. I can remember times she took us to our high school when we reconnected with her and we're living with her. And she had us jumping in the dumpsters to collect cans and bottles just to make ends meet so that we could have money for lunch. And I was talking to my pastor and mentor friend, and he said, how did you make it? He said, you should be in prison or addicted to drugs. You should have robbed a bank or something. He's like, you got something in your story that I don't know about? I'm like, no, man. He's like, how did you make it? How did you make it? It doesn't make sense. And the only way that I can make sense of how I made it 
this far is the fact that God gave me someone that I was always with, and that was my identical twin brother. As I started to study addiction, because addiction fascinated me, and I was just so torn by how so many of my family members and loved ones had lost their lives to addiction, I learned that the remedy for addiction, by God's grace, when we think of addiction, a lot of us think of the opposite being what? Sobriety. Did you know the opposite of addiction is not sobriety? Do you know what it is? It's human connection. It's human connection. There's a study that was done, and it, the study was done on mice. And I love sharing this study. And they, they, they put this, it was in the early 1900s, and cocaine was like the drug of choice. And they put this mice, this mouse in a cage, and they put water with cocaine in it and plain water. And the mouse drank himself on the cocaine water to death, overdosed. And one scientist came by and he said, this isn't fair. The, the mouse is alone in a cage by himself. So they created this mice mansion, I'll call it. And they put tunnels in it and they put wheels in it and they put other mice in it. And they had the water laced with cocaine and they had the water just plain water. Guess what? They put a bunch of mice in that cage. Did you know that not one of those mice ran to the cocaine water? Not one of them. And so that led that scientist to the foundational groundbreaking work of uh, addiction isn't this chemical dependency. It's not. It's a lack of human connection in our lives. And I think that God created us that way. God created us that way. God is relational. Doesn't it make sense that we were created for relationship? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. This was kind of approaching the, the final thing for me that made the most sense. The word was God. Do you know what sets Christianity apart from every other major world religion? It's different. It's different. And this made sense to me. Buddhism believes in enlightenment or nirvana, and they believe in detaching from the world, that everything that is material. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't believe I'm called to detach from the world around me and from the people around me to experience enlightenment and nirvana. Hinduism, they believe in karma, right? If you, have, if you do enough good deeds, you will be reincarnated into something better. That stresses me out. Because there's times in my life where I don't do a lot of good deeds, right? And Islam believes in the five pillars, and these are obligations. You must do these five things, and then you might, might being the key word, make it into paradise. You know what Christianity sets it apart? I love it. Gosh, I love it. You will never make it on your own. You won't. So you know what? The word was God, but the word became flesh. John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You will never make it to me, so I will make it to you. Your track record will never be good enough. Trust me but I am, so you don't have to be. You need to believe in me 
and in my track record. And this is what I love about Jesus and what he demonstrates for us in the word becoming flesh. We see that Jesus leaves perfect communion with the Father toward a people that would reject him, betray him, and ultimately kill him. Yet he chose to move toward them. He chose to face it. He chose to move toward us. I don't know about you, but I don't like to move toward painful experiences in my life. I don't. I don't. I can remember a time where my, my mom had a stroke when we were in high school and it left her bedridden and paralyzed. And just years and years and years of hardship and trials and bed sores that would just attack her. And I remember she had these sores covering her body. And she had just been moved to a new facility and my brother and I drove like 45 minutes to go see her. And I opened the door and I looked in and she was covered with these sores. And it was a sight that I just, I couldn't even bear to see. And I backed up and I closed the door. And the nurse said, she said, boys, that's your mom. She said, you need to go in there. And I remember not wanting to. Because who wants to move towards painful experiences in our life? We don't. I was reminded this week that love demands that we move toward the pain. Love demands that we move toward our fears. Love demands that we face it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus said, is there any other way? He was honest, right? He was human. He said, God, is there any other way? But if not, he said, your will, not mine. And we see that Jesus moved toward the pain. He faced it. Love demands that we face the pain. I have a question for you guys today because I don't know what it is that you're carrying in this place. I don't, but God does. My question to you is what do you need to move toward? What do you need to move toward? What is it that you need to face? God has already moved toward us in the person of Jesus. Do you need to move toward him? Do you need to believe in Jesus for salvation? Is that you today? Please do not leave this place without talking to me, if that's you. Are you running from community in this place? Because there's a lot of it here. What do you need to face? Is there a relationship that you need to reconcile? But there's so much pain that you're like, nah, I'll wait for them. What is it that you need to face? What is it that you need to turn towards? I promise you, your life will not make sense until you realize what it is that you were created for. And it's not just to believe in God for salvation, right? That is a huge part of it. That's, that is almost everything, right? But as we move toward God, he also moves us toward one another. You can often tell the health of the vertical union by the health of the horizontal union, amen? Amen. So what is it that you need to move toward? What is it that you need to face? Because that is what you were created for. 
Let's pray. Gracious and holy Father, give us the wisdom to discover you, the intelligence to understand you, the diligence to seek after you, and the patience to wait for you, eyes to behold you, a heart to meditate upon you, and a life to proclaim you through the power of the Spirit of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.